Today, disease and parasite management. This is the episode that you've been waiting for because it's actually the path that most reefers will follow, find the most benefit from with a reasonable amount of effort and probably double the lifespan of the fish in their tank. All starting with uh, number one, assume that it's in there and by it, I mean the parasites. Yeah, you know, like we mentioned earlier in an earlier video, it's uh, if you've got fish and they haven't been medicated and they haven't been quarantined properly, chances are you already have something in there. Even if you've never seen symptoms, you know, the fish can live without showing them. Uh, you know, you might just be one of the lucky few that haven't had a massive stress event to actually see the symptoms arise. That fact that I haven't seen it, it, it is actually of very minimal value. It just means you haven't seen the end stage in most cases because most people wouldn't know what to look for. You only know to look for when the fish is like lying on its side and covered in ick or velvet. Uh, if you saw the one speck, you're not really sure. And you actually have to be looking really closely to know what the differences are. So the best path here, the highest percentage path at this point is just assume the parasites are in there and we're going to do the things that are going to make that not matter. Number two, that doesn't mean intentionally add sick fish to the tank or act recklessly. It's not a license to kill. Yeah, you know, I mean, I know a lot of people when they have a sick fish, the immediate thought is, oh, I'll throw it in a reef tank, you know, because reef tank is supposed to be a stable environment, closely matched to the ocean, a lot better chance for the fish to survive. But really what you're doing is you're putting a fish in there that is going to be uh, a contributor to population increase of parasites, not mitigating it. Number three, this is probably the core of the whole thing. It's hard to resist, but avoid the parasite magnets. Yeah, you know, if you know that you have a desire to keep a fish, that is uh, very, very prone to contracting protozoan parasite diseases, namely ick and velvet, uh, that's probably not a good choice for you if you're gonna be practicing management. You know, I mean, we all want the best for our fish. We all want them to live long, happy lives. Uh, you know, the best course is to always do what's best for the animal, not necessarily just because we desire it, but you know, we can always substitute it for other things, fish that are more resilient to uh, parasites and protozoa, opposed to fish that have very low chance of fighting them off. So we've all maybe made that decision already, right? There might already be a powder blue in the tank here. Uh, you may have already made that decision, but now you get to make a decision about the future. Don't add any more uh, ick magnets if you're not going to practice eradication. And you know what? Sometimes, man, near and dear to the heart, I love those Achilles. I love those powder blues. Well, you know what? Go set up a fish-only tank that doesn't have corals where Practicing yeah. eradication is actually really easy in that environment. Uh, just go do that and yeah. you can have those fish. What comes to mind is uh, when you set up that 360 in your house and you wanted to put that Achilles in there. Mm -hmm. And I told you it was a bad idea because you weren't going to quarantine the coral and then you were also going to put a bunch of expensive rare fish in there. It is a uh, <laughs> learning process, yeah. uh, absolutely, because like, ah, well, I'm going to get it from Elliot. It's quarantined, <laughs> right? All the fish will be quarantined. I didn't grasp the concept of how I'm going to quarantine yeah. every last fish to try to achieve eradication. And you know, you just do the best you can, but the best advice here, if you're going to practice ick management, is just avoid those fish or put them in a fish only tank where it's a lot easier to do eradication. Number four, this story is getting old and repetitive, but it's because nobody's listening. Yeah. It's diet and nutrition <laughs> will help 
the animals fend off the parasites. Yeah, like we touched on earlier, you know, a lot of fish, the, uh, the go-to is we'll feed them this type of pellet food, we'll feed them this type of mysis shrimp or this type of frozen food, and uh, you know, that's supposed to cover every species of fish. Most fish, they're used to a certain type of diet, especially ones that are wild and they're coming from the ocean, especially older fish. You know, they actually need all of those different type of um, catered foods to actually be a strong, healthy, like immune, um, or have a strong immune system and actually fight that stuff off. Yeah, so if you're putting a little bit of nori in there to feel good and then mostly just feeding freshwater shrimp, which is protein, protein and uh, fat, mm -hmm. Uh, this isn't good for your tangs, man, and they're going to be less likely to fight this off. Frequency and amount and like type of diet, like the antheas, they're eating the plankton. I know the story's getting old, you've heard this before, but nobody's listening, right? <laughs> so if we do diet and nutrition like properly, we'll help these fish fight off the parasites so they don't affect the health of the animals in there and part of proper disease uh, management. Number five, stress management and avoiding the outbreaks associated with that. Yeah, you know, don't put a bunch of fish that you know are going to fight. If you've got ick and you're trying to manage it, maybe don't put three of the same type of tang in there. You know, even worse, don't put two. If you're going to mix stuff and you're going to do similar aggressive species, odd numbers. Great uh, tip. <laughs> Always do odd numbers. <laughs> you know, and uh, one of the tips you gave me to ask is, uh, is if I'm gonna add another fish in, is smaller better, bigger better, or same size better? And the answer is definitely same size is the worst. The other two are a little iffy. Mm -hmm. uh, but in any case, you might think of, well, it's the new fish that's gonna get stressed. No, it's the fish that's also in there mm -hmm. that has to fend off its territory that will also get stressed. So think of all the ways that you can stress out the fish. It's the power outages, it's the, uh, the failed heaters, it's the uh, a new fish addition, all of those things. Think about every action that you do or likely actions that will happen and avoid them because those are the triggers of outbreaks of parasites. Number six, uh, this one I got from Elliot, which is isolated introduction. Yeah, you know, a lot of times we want to see that fish in the tank right away, swimming amongst all our other fish because, you know, we just got it in there or maybe it's just out of QT and you're super, super excited to see it in there swimming around, uh, <laughs> you know, myself included. But uh, it's not always what's best for the fish. A lot of times when I'm adding fish to a tank, uh, existing fish, they've been in there a while, you know, and they're aggressive, they're dominant, they've established territory. That new fish has no idea where anything is in that tank. It's got no idea where to hide. You know, it's not comfortable in that setting because it's never been there before. Um, you know, all those things go a long way. And if the fish isn't doing well and you just put it in there and it's not getting a chance to settle in prior to being harassed by everyone else, you can expect that fish not to do very well. I've personally got dramatically different results from this, meaning don't put the little acclimation box in here for an hour or two, but go to Home Depot and uh, get a piece of plexiglass. You can just score it and you know put super glue to hold it together, a stepper bit to drill some holes in it. And now you have a little box that uh, the guy can live in for weeks, get introduced to the rest of uh, the fish in there. And what I find is, and all the 50 tanks that we've had here, when you add new fish, man, they always get harassed. So to various degrees, sometimes you have to pull them. Mm -hmm. uh, but in this case, when he's been in there for a couple of weeks inside the introductory box or the isolated introduction, when I pull it out, he just swims away and nobody cares. 
Number seven, temp and chemistry stability. This is that thing that takes a healthy tank, uh, it looks like it has no parasites, pushes it over the edge. And I'm not talking about stability today, I'm talking about long term. I'm talking about five, ten years, uh, don't have any of these mistakes ever. That's part of management. Yeah, you know, I mean, temperature swings, it's a big part of a fish's immune system or a fish's ability to maintain a strong immune system. Uh, you know, when the temperature drops five, ten degrees, that's an enormous hit. It would be like if you were in a warm, you know, office room all day, and then you went and sat in the snow for 20 minutes, and then you came back in, you kept doing that every day, you know, you're going to get sick eventually. I've seen it here. Uh, <laughs> I've seen it here with tanks that otherwise look totally healthy, and then for whatever reason, uh, the temperature dropped over the weekend in the tank, and you come back, and there's an ick or velvet outbreak. Mm -hmm. I saw it with an Achilles here, actually, in a big giant frag tank that we had. Uh, so it absolutely happens. Number eight disease management, water quality, maintaining pristine water. Yeah, you know, fish might not be as sensitive as coral when it comes to water parameters, but it's definitely a good indication of when the water's polluted uh, and when the water's a little bit uh, maybe dirty, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Um, you know, and fish can obviously feel that. You know, it's like uh, if you were breathing air out in the woods versus breathing air in, you know, a smog-filled city, you would definitely feel the difference. You know, I've seen people say, Corals like dirty water, something like that. Uh, but I've also seen people say, dirty water is synonymous with an uncared for tank. Mm -hmm. I believe the second one. Uh, and the best way to probably measure dirty water, A, visually, uh, put it in a white bucket, and if it's all yellow and dirty, it's polluted. Uh, the second way is with your test kit, nitrate and phosphate is a measurement of polluted water, not just in reefing, but basically every water application out there universally adapted as not just a pollutant, but a general pulse on the overall amount of pollutants that are building up in the tank. So I don't know if nitrate and phosphate are actually bad for the fish. I'm not gonna document that, but you know, there are lots of fish in here that just don't do well for whatever reason. And if water quality isn't on the table, I don't know why. All right, number nine, disease and parasite management in the tank is parasite population control uh, via UV. And uh, for full transparency, the first place I ever heard of parasite management uh, or ick management was actually Humblefish's article. And I think the first thing it says in there is get the biggest UV that you can buy or fit or afford or fit. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I completely agree. Um, you know, the bigger the UV, the more flow you can put through it, the more turnover, the more contact time. All that stuff goes a long way into reducing populations and parasite density. Uh, the caveat to that is these are commonly installed poorly and do nothing if they're installed poorly. Meaning you need to get the right size for it uh, and the bigger the better in most cases. Uh, but like, you know, I would actually go by what the manufacturer suggests in it so you can match the flow rate and turnover in it. And one of the ways you can do that is, uh, you know, get a flow meter for your favorite controller. You know, the Apex has one that you put it in there. Uh, on any of our systems, I'd for sure put that in there. Uh, but if you don't have a controller in there, I mean, you laughed at me when I mentioned this earlier, but it's literally as easy as taking a one gallon ice cream bucket, pushing it in the water, turning it on, and seeing how long it takes to fill up the one gallon bucket. We can now calculate how many gallons an hour it is. You can get this thing tuned to the right uh, area. And the way that it works 
is there's a population cycle that's happening in here. They're on the fish, they fall off the fish, uh, they rest in the sand or in the rock work, and then they turn one into 1,000, right? Mm -hmm. We're gonna catch them, sterilize them, not kill them, sterilize them so they're no longer able to replicate in the tank. Population control, not eradication, but just not so many that it overwhelms the fish's immune system. Number 10, what if I don't want UV and I want a different method that does the exact same thing? Let's catch those swimmers. Yeah, you know, I mean, the sediment filter method, it's uh, a little bit lost because it's an old school method, but it does work. It's just a lot of uh, changing out cartridges. You know, it's a great way to actually catch the free swimmers and actually stop them from ever actually adhering to the fish. You know, with UV, you are sterilizing them, but the free swimming parasite, once it passes through, can still go and feed on the fish. Uh, this one's actually stopping them and pulling them out of the water column. Yeah, so basically it's a big blue giant uh, uh, sediment filter. The cool part about this is flow rate isn't as critical anymore. In fact, you can actually really crank up the flow so it turns over the water multiple times an hour. Uh, it will clog, so you know, putting it after your roller mat or filter sock probably is a good a move. <laughs> uh, you can even put it on a closed loop uh, in some cases within your sump or even in the tank. Uh, you know, each system is a little bit different, but the sediment filter, go below five microns, and you're gonna catch those swimmers, and essentially they're either gonna die right inside that sediment filter, or you're gonna pull them out live and throw them in the trash. All right, number 11 and number 12, all in one, actually. It's the 80-20 fish QT, meaning that we're going to get 80% of the benefit from just 20% of the effort. If you can actually set up a little box like this, you can start medicating quarantine the fish before they go into your tank, not add anything new to it. There's also the 80-20 coral QT, same thing. There's a good, better, best method to this one to help reduce the amount of parasites that could potentially come on any of those corals. And those things are coming up next playlist right here.